Hello everybody, welcome back to Caffeinated Bible Chatter, where the coffee is strong, it's hot, and the word is sharp. Uh, this is Kyle O'Shields, I'm here with Dylan Brown, and we are back for another episode. How's it going today, Dylan? Man, it's, it's going good. I'm, uh, the coffee is very strong. I'm currently sipping on some JB from, from Black Rifle. No, they do not sponsor this. Uh... <laughs> For whatever reason, they haven't caught on to our channel yet. Um, sort of kidding. But, uh, yep, the coffee's strong. Uh, got the Bible open, ready to, to dive into this. Um, hopefully, we can piggyback from last week and clarify any loose ends, uh, if there were any for anybody, and then uh, just give some more proof of why we believe what we believe. Yep. So, if you uh, missed last week's or, or the week before that, we've been kind of talking about our approach to scripture um and and we talked about we we approach the scripture literally um and if you're gonna do that then we have to make sure we're rightly dividing this thing right the bible tells us to study it tells us to rightly divide um and with that came in dispensations and this this talk of dispensationalism right and and all this is is a, a systematic approach to viewing scripture right um, because without this, if you're, if you're going to approach the Bible literally and you're not a dispensationalist or you're, you're sitting there saying, I don't, I don't believe in that. Well, then you can say the Bible contradicts itself, right? And that's where you get a lot of those, those heretics and stuff saying, I, I don't, I don't believe in that because that, that book contradicts itself and, and stuff like that. So, um, so what we're going to do today is, is get back into that dispensational discussion, um, try to clarify it a little more if need be, and, and maybe talk a little bit about the covenants today, I guess. Um, but basically, like, like Dylan explained last week, it's, it's all grace, right? God showing grace through, through faith, right? Yeah, grace is present in every dispensation, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, it's in every one of them. Uh, and he gave an example of, of that grace being dispensed and and I know this has been used before but one of the easiest ways I pictured is the the coke thing mm-hmm. um it's all coke right but it's dispensed differently there's a two liter there's a, a can of coke there's a glass bottle of coke there's a, a 12 ounce bottle of coke something like that it's it's all the same thing it's all coke but the way it is being dispensed is different right and that that's kind of the same thing with, with what we're looking at today um, so I guess if you want to, kick yeah. Off so and... I, like it, just to you know, I was talking with a few people after we listen or after we did this episode, and I'm always curious to hear people's feedback and what they're thinking. And you know, if anything wasn't clear last week, um, you know, we we we've said before on here that we're we're not trying to be polished or uh, super professional. We just want to you know be straight shooters and just talk Bible. On here, like I said, if, if nothing else, even if people don't listen, me and Kyle actually enjoy this. Like we do this, we did this before we had a mic in front of us, yeah. and yeah. enjoyed the fire out of it. So even if people don't listen, hey, we're enjoying the fire out of this. But in all of this, um, you know, to be really clear, what we're saying with this whole thing of dispensationalism. And again, I, I said last week, I get the, I get the uh drawbacks of, of the fact that it says ism on the end of it and stuff like that and I, I actually understand what people are saying when it comes to those kind of things 
Um, but I mean, obviously, an ism certainly is just something that is practiced. It is just saying that we are practicing the belief that there are dispensations. Um, and again, it goes back to Second Timothy two fifteen, which simply tells us to rightly divide. So, okay, if we're gonna be Bible believers, and we spend a lot of time talking about rightly dividing, I mean, I'm sorry, about literal interpretation. Sorry, then we have to, if we're going to approach the Bible literally, we're going to approach 2 Timothy 2.15 literally, and the Bible tells us to rightly divide. Proverbs 35 says every word of God is pure. So that's not there by accident. There's a reason for that, and the reason is deep. It's because there's divisions, which we, we laid out last week. Um, so what we are saying with, if all of this, we gave some definitions last week, and Kyle just gave the, the dispensing of the Coke thing illustration but if all of this is not clear, what we're saying with dispensationalism is that we believe, first and foremost, that people throughout history of the Bible are not saved the same way. Again, I think we said that last week, but that needs to be said because there are people that actually claim to be dispensationalists that don't believe that. They believe that the Old Testament Christians look forward to the cross and the New Testament uh, people look, look back to the cross. And the problem with that is, is that uh, it's not you can't find that you can't find the, the new birth in the Old Testament. And we laid that out last last week with David and the whole Psalm fifty one situation. Um, but we are saying clearly t- taught in Scripture, we believe that people are not saved the same way throughout Scripture. Okay, and this is going to sound really crazy. There are actually dispensations. There are actually time frames. Where people they are always they are always saved by the grace of God. The grace of God is what saves a man. But the the way again that that grace is dispensed is different in different in different dispensations. But it's also different responses required from man to that grace that's offered. So you go to the Old Testament. I, I hopefully hopefully we'll kind of get into some of these examples tonight. But there's some there's some examples where you know what. Faith was required, but you know what also what else was required? Works were required. Now, now hear me clearly, because that's the first thing is someone to believe that I believe in works-based salvation. I do not believe in works-based salvation for the church age, for the last 2,000 years. A man can try to work his way to heaven now, and he will, he will not go to heaven. He'll go to hell, because works can't save a man. But in the Old Testament, in the tribulation, and we'll get to some of those things, but in the tribulation, in the Old Testament, in these different uh, time periods, man was not saved like man is saved today. And that's what we're saying. Like I said, just to, just to kind of clear all the fancy talk, if, that, if any of that was fancy for you, that's what we're saying. And what we're also saying is not only is man saved differently in different time periods, but, but what God tells man to do specifically after that is different. Okay, like the way that he's laid out the economy. We talked about that sort of last week with the, the way the father runs a household type thing. Now, it all involves the word of God and all of that. A man is saved by, by believing and doing what the word of God tells him to do to that specific person. Okay, like to the church age, it's believe on Jesus Christ. Okay, but then again, afterwards, the reason that what God tells us to do is slightly different is because he told the Jews to do something Different than that, that was a different vehicle in the Old Testament than what he is using now in the church. So I just kind of wanted to go down that rabbit trail just to set, just to kind of give you the plain the plain Jane talk and to, to I don't want there to be any hidden weeds of what we're at, what we actually believe. That is what we believe in dispensationalism. It was very clear clear in Scripture. We believe so. 
as Kyle said, um, with this whole was any of that too far? Big? That all makes sense. We're all good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I just you know Kyle's right here beside me. We're just shooting the bull. And but, uh, but if you do got a question, our emails in the in the podcast thing on, on every yes. every platform, you can you can see the email. Send us an email. We'd we'd love to see the questions and. Maybe we can talk about them on, on one of the podcasts. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm glad you said that. I'm actually discouraged that we have not had a, an email yet. And this is maybe just the lack of uh, volume of listeners yet so far. I mean, we've got quite a few downloads and I'm, I'm happy about that. But we have not gotten an email from somebody that is uh, calling us crazy or yeah. upset. You know, uh, not that we're not doing this for that, but that I just joked that we would get that and we haven't gotten that yet. So. Uh, whether you're happy or sad or somewhere in the middle, shoot us an email yeah. and we'll be happy to get back. Maybe with a couple comments on Facebook. Right? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, but so what Kyle was laying out, so we he said this, that we're going to kind of dive into the covenants and we really don't want to make this whole episode about the covenants because as you can see the title, it's, um, you know, the dangers of wrongly dividing scripture. And we're obviously going back to 2 Timothy 2.15, but we did say this last week and Kyle just, just brushed this a second ago, but that the way that we divide the dispensations is through the covenants, okay? So we believe that there are, the, the, the typical historical view is that there are seven covenants, therefore there are seven dispensations. Now, I will say it depends on how you count to the extent of there is an eternity future one day. So what we believe is that Right now, we're in the church age. Well, eventually, the, the rapture will happen, which will eventually lead to the second coming of Christ, where he sets up his millennial reign, which we've talked about before. After that thousand-year reign, then he makes a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? That is eternity future. So that is a different time frame. So it's hard to not put that in its own category. Um, so whether someone says, I believe in eight dispensations or I believe in seven, um, not a big deal to us. It uh, doesn't really matter. But I just wanted to throw that little little deal out there so uh kyle you want to you want to fire off the the seven covenants there you got them yeah, pulled up I, yeah i can list them uh the edenic covenant um the adamic covenant the noahic covenant the abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant the davidic covenant and the new covenant and i i think you might have explained yeah. the new covenant better than than what I have written down here. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, no, I mean, just like we talked about last week, the New Covenant is that deal in Matthew 26, just, yeah. uh, you know, the, the blood of the New Testament. And we talked about that the test a testament is certainly connected to a testator, which is Christ. We talked about that in Hebrews last week. Um, but a testament is also translated in our Bible as covenant. So they're synonymous words. Um, so, yeah. So we don't just pick and choose randomly where there are dispensations. We believe they align with, with covenants. Um, now, I will say this. This is important to say, and I think this will lead us maybe into talking about the book of Acts or, or just examples like that. But um, cov- uh, these dispensations, we don't believe that they are hard-lined in, in time. So in other words, like we don't believe that, that Jesus... Okay, so when Jesus was on earth, that was still under the dispensation of the law. The Mosaic Covenant was still there in practice because, remember, the New Covenant didn't actually start. Now, Jesus told them about it, but it didn't start until the death of the testator. Okay, now, what we're saying by this hard line thing is it wasn't that Jesus died 
And then immediately everything was exactly like it is now in 2023 with the church age. Now things were things were transitioning at that point. So I say that because of this. If you were to go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts actually is a great example of a, it's a transitional book. So the book of Acts transitions you from the four gospels, which is Christ's you know, earthly ministry, to the book of Romans, which is sort of the constitution of our faith in the church age. And what the book of Acts does is it literally, it throughout the book, it transitions into, by the end of it, to being fully, uh, the operation is just like the church age like it is now. Okay, an example of that would be this. So if you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then, and if you align with me and Kyle doctrinally, then you believe that the Holy Spirit lives within you and that the Holy Spirit uh, came in to indwell you as soon as you called upon Christ. Big Kyle, you want to grab Ephesians one thirteen? Ephesians. And I'm going to grab uh, Acts 8. Let me go ahead and read it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Cool. All right. Ephesians one thirteen. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so there's a great verse that we, we use. And the next verse actually talks about the earnest of our inheritance, which is the fact that, which is the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God came to live within you. What was the contingency? The, when, and when you trusted in Jesus Christ, when you heard and believed the gospel of your salvation. So Romans 10 walks us through that process. A man, there's a preacher out that is preaching. There's someone that is proclaiming truth. Okay, a man hears that. When he hears that, he when he believes that, he then calls upon Christ. Okay, so it gives us this whole this whole process. Um, but at that moment, when when someone believes the gospel, they receive Jesus Christ. We believe the Holy Spirit comes and, and indwells them. Okay, well this is my example in the Book of Acts. Okay, the beginning of Acts is we've talked about this before, but is God is actually still offering the uh, the kingdom to the nation of Israel. Okay, because you know John one uh, John one eleven says he came unto his own, but his own received him not. The Israelites were not interested overall in in Jesus being their king. He was too lowly, too humble. Is not what they were looking for, and so they were they they rejected him by crucifying him. Uh, but then he still gave them because God is a gracious God. He gave them opportunities to repent in the beginning of Acts. That's why you see Peter preaching repentance to the whole nation of Israel. It's a national repentance. You see Stephen preaching the national repentance in, in Acts chapter 7. Okay, But then we said before that, that when Stephen was rejected, when, St- when Stephen's truth was rejected in Acts 7, what happened? They stoned him. Well, remember, when, when Stephen's preaching, there, Jesus is literally standing. And the reason he's standing is because he's ready to return if they'll, if they'll as a nation repent and receive him as their Messiah. Well, they don't. So what happens in Acts chapter 8 after the stoning of Stephen, that is the last offer to Israel. God is now transitioning, again, in the church age, he is now transitioning to the Jew. I mean, I'm sorry, to the, uh, to the Gentile, okay, to the church. All right, so how do we know that? Well, in Acts chapter 8, the very next chapter after the stoning of Stephen, you see that, uh, it's funny, verse number 1. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. 
and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay, then you skip down to verse 5, and then notice where they're starting to preach. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, what do you know about Samaria? Samaritans were not, they were not full Jew. They were half Jew and half Gentile. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it it was a big deal to the Jews in the the four Gospels. It's very clear to see that. Woman at the well situation there in John 4. It was a big deal to her that Jesus stopped to talk to her. Um, There's plenty of examples. We don't have time to dive into that. But this is a half Jew, half Gentile. So it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Okay, that, that's a big deal because that is a, that is, you're starting to see the beginning of this transition. But this is really where I wanted to take you in this. Look, uh, if you got your Bible or if not, just listen. But it's verse, let's see. I think it's verse 13. I had this joker written down. Okay, it's verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he, con- he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So Philip's got this little revival deal going on. He's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. Verse 14, Now when the, apostles, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they heard this because this is a big deal. They're like, what, are you kidding me? The Samaritans are being preached to and they're receiving the word of God? They sent unto them Peter and John. Okay, verse 15, here it is. People have already received the word of God. People have already believed the gospel. Okay? What's that code for? They're getting saved. Verse 15. Who, okay, Peter and John have come, who, when they were come down, prayed for them, those people that received the word of God, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So here's my question to you. As a, as a believer in the church age, as a Christian today, when you, you go back to the your t- in your testimony to the day you got saved, you you know someone took a Bible or at least told you in words somebody you know or had been telling you in words and the Spirit of God convicted you, showed you your need for for Christ and you surrendered at some point and said you know what I need the Lord Jesus and you you received Christ for salvation. Okay, at that moment, did you need somebody to come pray over you so that you could have the Holy Spirit? Okay. And, you, if you align with me and Kyle at all, then you know that's not the case. Well, but it was the case in Acts 8. They did not receive the Holy Spirit immediately at the moment of salvation. Why is that? Well, because they're, they're still transitioning out of that current dispensation. So they're in the church age, but it's, it's sort of like this. The dispensations, the lines are not hard. The lines are not a line drawn in the sand. They actually bleed together. And they're... they're, they're they, they, they go from one dispensation to another through transition periods, not through, uh, you know, it's not like one day it's one way and the next morning it's boom, completely 100% transition to something else. That's not the way it works. Okay. So I don't know. Um, uh, that, that's, that's just kind of something important to, to think about um, with all of this. And so I don't know, is there anything else, Kyle, before we kind of move into the reasons why it's important to not wrongly divide. Is there anything else you think we should add as far as like clarity to this whole this whole deal of dispensationalism? Is that pretty much? Well, I, don't, I mean, when you were talking about the dispensations kind of bleeding into one another, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I was just thinking about like, it's like some of the promises given in, in one dispensation 
are not necessarily fulfilled in that same, you know, right. you call it economy. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the the promises of the first coming mm-hmm. of, of Christ in the Old Testament. Well, it wasn't fulfilled until he came, right? Right. So, so you see that all through all of these, like the the Ten Commandments. Well, we're still we're still listening to some of those, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We should be. Uh, yeah, we don't want nobody killing folks. Yeah, or or like in. So I wrote down two verses, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And then in Romans thirteen, oh, verse eight, oh, no man anything but the love, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So, so some things aren't completely changed mm-hmm. just because we're out of a, out of this dispensation. That's why it's it's tough to put. Like it's a time period, right? That's exactly. Why it's tough to put a time period on it. Yeah. They, they bleed with one another. Things carry over. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah, and, and I'm glad I'm glad you said that because one thing that's important is is these seven covenants that we laid out. They are eternal. They don't dissipate when the next covenant comes into 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 play. And the reason I say that is because we said that the sixth covenant was the Davidic covenant. Now you can find that in Second Samuel chapter seven. But what that is, is that is God telling David, promising David, promising the nation of Israel that somebody in through David's lineage will rule and reign from a throne in, king, in a kingdom in Jerusalem. Okay, well now that technically did happen with, with uh, Solomon, his son, after that. But if you were to go study that whole deal out in 2 Samuel 7, there are direct references that are talking about Jesus ruling and reigning. Now, when will Jesus rule and reign? He hasn't done it yet. You can't call his first coming and his first, his earthly ministry, you can't call that ruling and reigning. That was suffering. He was a servant. Okay. So what that's a reference to, 2 Samuel 7, is that is a, that is a promise to the nation of Israel uh, that Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Well, when will he do that? Well, he'll do that in the second coming. Okay. So the reason that's important to remember that these covenants are eternal is this. There's an, there's an opposing view to dispensationalism. The opposing view to dispensationalism is covenant theology. Now, we've, a couple episodes ago, said a lot about Calvinists and all that, and I actually don't have any grudge against Calvinists. Um, I don't. But Calvinists do hold to this, this view of, of covenant theology. Now, what you may think is, well, Dylan, you just talked about covenant, so isn't that the same thing? Well, no, no, what covenant theology does is they believe, they don't believe that these covenants are eternal. So they believe that when the, when, you know, the new covenant that we have today, they actually believe that that does away with the, the promises to Israel. So any promise that was made to Israel in the Old Testament that has not been fulfilled yet, they don't believe that that will be fulfilled. So they believe that, our, that you know, in, 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 really in a sense, that things done in the New Testament have have washed away what was promised in the Old Testament. And, and if you remember from a couple episodes ago, if you've been following with us, we said that most Calvinists are amillennial, which means they don't believe in the millennial reign, which would make sense because 2 Samuel 7, that is the Davidic covenant, which is a promise that Christ will rule and reign. Well, they don't believe that anymore. They believe that's done away with. And so what actually happens and I'm kind of getting ahead of getting ahead of myself. Is they, but they believe that that the Christian now becomes takes place of the Jew in the New Testament, and that's a dangerous territory. 
That is a dangerous territory because because Romans 11 is clear that that blindness to Israel is only coming part. They're not going to be blinded forever. God is not done with Israel. Matter of fact, we can see that more in the last 100 years, 90 years, because in 1948, what happened? The nation of Israel became a nation again. Well, it's easy to see how people in the 1700s and 1800s completely forgot about Israel because they weren't even a nation anymore. But God is showing in Scripture through His covenants, God is showing continually even in the book of Revelation that God is not done with Israel. So the problem with this opposing view of dispensationalism, really the biggest difference with dispensationalism and covenant theology, there's a bunch, but the biggest difference, if we could separate those just so it doesn't confuse you, is that that covenant people that hold to covenant theology believe that God is done with the Jew and that they now represent that. And dispensationalists, like me and Kyle, we understand and believe clearly from Scripture that God is not done with the Jew and, again, that there is something separate between the church and the Jew and the promises that are made to Israel directly. Now, if you've not studied that stuff out, that's fine, but just, just hear me on this. That's a big deal. And we'll say a little bit more about that here in a few minutes, but I promise that really is a big deal. Okay, one of the reasons we know that God is not done with Israel is because He's going to He's going to punish Israel for all the things that have taken place, and He does that in the tribulation. You know what tribu- the tribulation is also called in the Bible? It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Interesting phrase, considering that Jacob is oftentimes used synonymous with Israel, and Jacob's name was actually changed to Israel in his life. I mean, they're synonymous. And so God's not done with the Jew. That needs to be said. We probably, uh, I was thinking about that. We probably should have made comment about that last week, just in case there's people that get online and start searching stuff. Not that that happens, but just in case it does. Um, But there is a great difference between the two. We believe in covenants and scripture, their promises, but not... We believe, again, that they're eternal and that God will not back out on what he's promised to do. All right, cool. So you ready to move into the... I wrote down four things. So the, the, the title of this episode is uh, the, the, you know, the dangers of wrongly dividing, essentially. Okay, the, the, the problems, the, the issues you're going to run into when you wrongly divide. Now, we did lay out um, some things last, last week in some verses some references that would show you how that's dangerous, but we just want to do that a little bit more. We want to kind of go further into that because I think that the clearest way to lay all this out really is just to give you examples in Scripture that, again, what we're saying is things are not the same all throughout Scripture. So back to what I was just saying about the the, the Calvinist, they believe that they now, you know, that they have replaced Israel. The problem with that is a lot of those cats, they try to claim promises to Israel that are not intended for them. Therefore, it's like me claiming a promise that is given to Kyle. You know what that promise actually, what weight and, and confidence I can actually put in that promise? None, because it's not to me. But the problem is that that is, what, that is what replacement theology leads to. Okay, so I wrote down four simple things, and we'll see where this leads us, uh, big cow. But uh, four, four dangers of wrongly dividing the scriptures. You want to you read 2 Timothy 2.15? Yeah. And uh, this was our reference that we kept going back to uh, over and over and over because, again, what we believe is we believe we are to study the Word of God, but we believe that God lays out how He wants us to do it. And one of the points that He makes is 2 Timothy 2.15 because it tells us to study. Yeah. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want to say as a, as a side point real quick. You ought to, if you're following along in your Bible, we've made it clear that we are King James guys. We're not mad about it. I'm not ticked off if you use, if you use another version. I'm really not. It doesn't, I don't make any money if you use a King James Bible. I don't know if anybody thinks I do, but I don't. Okay? It doesn't do anything for me. But if we, we believe that every word of God is pure and that he has specifically told us to study. So the first thing I would say is you need to look in your Bible and see if your Bible tells you to study in that verse. Because if you have anything, um, if you, most versions outside the King James don't tell you to study. That's, that's concerning. But even more concerning than that is it doesn't tell you uh, the way to study, which is what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So you really do got to ask yourself that question. If all this stuff is true that we're laying out, and maybe you think it's all a bunch of garbage and that we're just talking anyway, and that's fine, whatever. But if all of it is true... You have to ask yourself the question, why do other versions say uh, take away the thing of rightly dividing the word of truth? Because according to, to the Bible that I'm looking at right now, that rightly dividing thing is connected with being ashamed or not being ashamed. So that seems like a key phrase there. Um, so that's just a sidebar. And again, I, I, I truly mean that with all love and uh, peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness. I really do. I got nothing. I just want to be honest with you. You should really look into that. Um, okay, but here we go. Fourth, four reasons that I wrote down. Maybe if you're listening at home, you could think of ten, and you could email us the other six yes. uh, on our email. But here's four problems or dangers with wrongly dividing scripture. And Kyle, if you want to grab Acts two thirty eight, that's where I'm about to go. But number one, you will be pushed into an allegorical approach. Now, that you, you may be thinking, well, that sounds, Dylan, here we go again. We're just retreading the same waters, and we are. But again, that needs to be said because the reason our first main episode was about approaching the Bible literally is because that is the, when, when, when something doesn't agree with what you believe, the quickest thing, the easiest way out of, of defining it is just to say that it's not actually being literal. Okay, now again, we believe in types and all that, like we talked about, go see two episodes ago just for, for more of that. But again, the dangers of this is if you say, you know what, Dylan, I don't believe in dispensationalism, I don't believe that I need to divide scripture, understanding that there's different, there's different uh, calls and stuff to different time frames and people and all that. Okay, well, it's going to, the temptation is always going to be to, to push you into an allegorical approach. Okay, so my example for that is Acts 2.38, and I'll explain that. But Big Cal, if you want to read that. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so I just laid out earlier this whole thing of the transition, the, the, the transitional nature of the book of Acts. So this is early Acts. Remember, what's going on here is this is still a, a, a national repentance offer to the nation of Israel. Okay? But I want you to, again, pay attention to the actual words of, of this verse in 38. And Kyle, what does it say? What does he say happens if they get baptized in the name of the Lord? Remission of sins. Yeah, and then it goes on to say for the Holy Ghost, right? Oh, yeah. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, yeah. Okay, so... The remission of sins and 
receiving the Holy Ghost. Okay, well, what what happened? What do we believe? How do we believe you receive the Holy Ghost? You gotta get saved. So what the Acts two thirty eight is saying is that if these people that whoever this is talking to, we believe it's the nation of Israel, that these people, if they'll respond to this baptism offered, they'll receive the Holy Ghost. Verse thirty six says Israel. By the way, if yeah. You're, if you're reading along with us, there you go. Okay. Now what's the reason, okay, so what does that have to do with an allegorical approach to Scripture? Okay, again, we're, me and Kyle are Baptists, and we love, we're Baptists for a reason. We believe that. We were raised that way, but we believe that now that we're older, um, that that's you know, the right teaching and all that. But this is what a good Baptist will do. I've heard it a dozen times. They'll say, we'll see what that verse is really saying is. And again, not to go back to two episodes ago, but we already went through that deal. But you see how the temptation there, because we believe that salvation's by grace through faith and Christ's finished work. We don't believe baptism is associated with our salvation. Okay? We don't we believe that if someone gets saved but does not get baptized, they they will go to heaven. They are saved. It doesn't, it's not contingent on their baptism. That's what Church of Christ believe. Okay? But so what a Baptist will do when he sees that verse, if he doesn't know how to rightly divide, is he'll say, Well, that's what it's really saying is. Okay, why would he do that? Well, because it disagrees with his doctrine. And by the way, it does disagree with his doctrine. But again, that's why there, it's proof there's divisions. It's proof that it's not saying the same thing. So I just wanted to use that. And they'll even appeal to the Greek. And again, we like the Greek and we like the Hebrew. We have no problems with it. But when, whenever we see people that have a problem with the English text, with just taking it literally, one of the fastest things they do is go to the Greek to redefine the terms. So what they're doing essentially is they're trying to morph the Bible into saying what they want it to say. Okay. So talking earlier when you were talking about Acts being the transitional book, that if you're not a dispensationalist and you read a verse like Acts 2.38, but then Acts 20.24 is Paul, right? Which one of those are we going to go? Paul's teaching. So I'll just read the verse 20.24 in Acts. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. So he's just, it, Paul's preaching the grace of God. Right. But earlier in Acts, he's preaching repent and be baptized yep. for the remission of sins. Yeah, so, two different messages. So what do you go with if you're, if you're not a dispensationalist, right? Mm-hmm. You're not rightly dividing. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's 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 the first one that again I I made that number one in my mind because again that that's always going to be the temptation because we did say this and we we stand by this the only way that you can interpret scripture literally consistently is through dispensationalism it is through rightly dividing scripture if again if there are no divisions if there are no divisions in your mind then you can't approach it literally consistently. Either, you're, either you approach it literally and you realize the Bible disagrees with itself or you're going to approach it literally until you have to morph into an allegorical approach so that it can fit your, your doctrine. And that's what, that's what a lot of people do. They, don't, they just don't make proper divisions and interpret it literally. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, you will lose sight of the three people groups of Scripture. So first, uh, Kyle, if you want to grab 1 Corinthians 10, 32, and I'm going to grab Revelation 3. So again, the the first one is the the temptations is you'll you'll have this urge to start 
approaching Scripture allegorically if you don't rightly divide. And secondly, you'll lose sight of the three people groups of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10.32, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So right there we have, when we laid this out last week, we have three people groups. Okay, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. Now I think it's Galatians, so so why, so you could say, well, why is the, I think it's Galatians 3.26, God, or 28, talks about um, there's no Jew or Gentile in the church. Um, so you could think, okay, well, that really is just two because a church is made of Jews or Gentiles. I mean, nationally, like everybody that's saved, everybody in the world is either Jew or Gentile because a Gentile is someone that's not a Jew. Okay, but the reason that they are three separate is because, again, in the church age, there is technically, spiritually, no Jew or Gentile. We are one body in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We're in his body. So we're no longer Jew or no longer Gentile. Okay, none of those things apply. Do you see if you yeah, found it? Okay. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. See? So, uh, and that's why the church is separate from the Jew and Gentile. So, again, number two here, you'll lose sight of the three people groups of Scripture. Okay, so why is that a big deal? Well, again, just like I was given the example of, of how Calvinists oftentimes, or not oftentimes, they just do it, they believe in replacement theology. They believe in covenant theology, which means that that they now represent the Jew. They now like they, they, they interpret Romans nine and Romans eleven, which is clearly talking to the Jew. They interpret that to the, to a church age believer. Well, they, I don't even know if they use the term church age, but what we would call church age believer. Okay. Um, well, again, the problem with that is when you go and you look throughout the Old Testament. If you try to equate yourself as a Christian, or, or if you try to equate the church to the nation of Israel, again, there's different commands, there's different promises, there's different uh, responses to the Word of God. There's, I mean, everything is different, okay? And it leads you into this, this heretical uh, viewpoint, this heretical belief, and it's just a long, nasty trail that you just don't want to go down, Okay? So again, you'll lose sight of the three people groups of Scripture. That's really important. All right, listen to this verse here, Revelation 3, 9. So, so how serious is God? This would be something that would make me nervous as a Calvinist that believes in replacement theology. How nervous, I'm sorry, how serious is God about his chosen people still being the nation of Israel that he's going to come back to and still use in his kingdom? Well, listen to what he says in verse 9. In Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. Wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a phrase. Which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, we won't get into the rabbit trail of who that's directly talking to in Revelation chapter 3, but interesting phrase there. That, if nothing else, we can see that God is not interested in anybody claiming promises and claiming uh, inheritance and things that are meant for Israel and trying to put that in, in application to themselves. God's not interested in that. It, it, it takes God off. He calls, it, he calls this, these people the, the synagogue of Satan. Okay? So that, that's super important. All right? So, again, how was this all... 
Uh, how is it dangerous if you wrongly divide? Well, again, you'll be you'll be pushed into an allegorical approach. Number two, you'll lose sight of the three people groups of Scripture. Number three, this is big. This is really where we tried to go last week to give you examples, but this is massive. If you are a good Bible believer, or at least uh, you know believe that you are, and you believe in eternal security, the problem is number three, if you don't rightly divide, you will not hold to eternal security. You can't if you don't divide Scripture. Okay? So Kyle, if you want to go to, to Matthew 24, I think it's verse 13. And then I'll, I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 6. So you will not hold to eternal security. Now, again, I keep preferencing this, but it's so important. Again, we're, we're, we're here to interpret Scripture literally, unless we can't. Unless it's just clear that it is not intended to be interpreted literally. Okay, so now listen to what these verses say. Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure to, unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now I want you to think about that. Again, I want you to go back to your testimony the day that you got saved. And I, I want you to think about that, that time that you came and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for, for eternal life. Now, when you got up or you whatever, however that looked for you, Okay, if you believe like me and Kyle do, in what we believe is clearly in Scripture, you believe at that very moment, again, as Ephesians 1.13 said, we read earlier, at that very moment that you were secure eternally. Again, the Spirit of God was your earnest, your, the down payment to promise you a new body in, in, in heaven with the Lord Jesus. But according to that verse in Matthew 24, it says that the person that endures to the end shall be saved. So, that you know what, what what is enduring to the end? Well, that's that's not messing up. That is sticking it out. That is uh, that is standing by the stuff. That is not you know that is that is staying with walking with the Lord. Okay, now should you do those things? Absolutely. Second Timothy actually talks about Second Timothy two, the beginning of it talks about endure hardness as a good soldier. That's a great thing. We as Christians are to endure hardness as a good soldier. But again, is God watching your life, waiting for you to mess up so that he can pull back the gift of eternal life from you? Well, that is not, that's not what church age epistles teach us. That's not what Paul teaches us in scripture. Romans 8 says that, he, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Ephesians 1 says that it's the earnest of our inheritance. It's our, the down payment. It is we we are his purchased possession. We are his body. John, uh, I think it's Romans eight two talks about we are his body. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So, again, it is the way that you live your life after you get saved determining whether you stay saved. Because if that's the case, that's a works based salvation. That's not faith. Either Christ's finished work on the cross was, was, was sufficient to pay for your sins, or it wasn't. All right? But notice again what it says. It, it did literally say that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, now, okay, so we're talking about rightly dividing. Well, let's give you some, some practice of that and show you how, we're, how this is done, okay? Well, the way we rightly divide is, for one, we, we see what book this is in. This is in the book of Matthew, which is to the Jew. It's talking about the kingdom and it's talking as the you know Jesus being offered as the king to the Jews to the nation of Israel okay and specifically chapter 24 is talking about the second coming 
So you were to go through and look at some of that stuff in Matthew 24, and I encourage you to do that. But what the context there is, is he's literally talking about when Christ comes back to this earth, not the rapture. And again, there's a, there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. But this is the second coming, which is after the tribulation. So what does all that say? This is all, Matthew 24 is all stuff that is preceding the second coming, which tells us this. And actually, he talks about great tribulation in Matthew 24. So the context of Matthew 24, specifically, he's talking to his disciples, is the tribulation. Which, spoiler spoiler alert, we don't believe, we're pre-trib. We believe that the church will be raptured out. We not only believe that, we know that that's true. We, we can take you to plenty of references for that. We know that's the case. We will not be here during the tribulation. The church won't, okay? So, but, but, but in all that, what that's saying is that's why we're saying that people are saved differently in different dispensations, okay? Because, because the tribulation goes back to an Old Testament economy under the law. And you know what? It's a combination of faith and works. And again, if that... If that rubs you wrong, or I, I hope it doesn't. But again, you ought to study out these things. You ought to take that verse literally because it's intended to be interpreted literally. And there's somebody that the Lord is commanding to, to endure to the end to be saved. And it's the, it's, the, it's the Jewish saint in the tribulation that has to... How do they endure to the end? Well, they, they don't take the mark of the beast. They got to flee to the mountains. They got to, they got to go without being able to buy, say, or, uh, sell, or trade. Because the mark of the beast is the very thing that allows someone to be a part of the economy. So that's just that's just that's just an example. So if you if you take everything literally, because you said you know what I'm not going to take the word of God allegorically unless it's clear that it's intending to be that. But I am going to take it literally. Okay, well according to this, you know what, man? Oh man, I, gosh, I, I better not mess up. I got to endure to the end, or I'm because only those people are saved. And this is where it creeps in again. I. I Calvinist, I've given you a fist bump. If you're a Calvinist and listen to this, I'm giving you a fist bump right now. I love you, and I'll drink coffee with you if you were near me, okay? <laughs> I would. Only good coffee, not gas station coffee. But this is what Calvinists believe applies to us because they don't believe there are divisions because they don't rightly divide. And not just, I'm not just picking on them, but this they're the clearest ones that are known for this now in, in 2023. John Piper was actually, he actually has prayed a prayer before that he was asking God to not let him in this specific day that he was about to start, he was praying, asking God to not allow him to do something that would show that he was not the elect. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, because John Piper doesn't believe in eternal security. And you could say, well, no, 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 I know John, I listen to John Piper, he believes in eternal security. But listen to what, what, what I just laid out. He is asking God to not let him do something that would actually show that he wasn't saved. Okay, that's not eternal security. If I'm worried constantly, if you were worried constantly that, that something could take place in your life to 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 sh- to pull back the very reality of your current possession of eternal life, then that is not confidence in eternal security. It's just not. That means I'm one bad decision away from not enduring to the end and not being saved. 
not spending eternity with the Lord Jesus. It's a massive, massive, massive deal. Okay, Hebrews chapter 6. Kyle, I'm getting wordy. We're, 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 we're going to have our longest episode here. I'm sorry. Uh, Hebrews 6. Again, we're taking this, this literally. Uh, it's verse, listen, look at verse 4. Or listen to verse 4. It says, for, if, uh, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so what's going on in verse 4? This guy has been enlightened. This guy has, has been a partaker of the Holy Ghost. All right? Verse 5. And have tasted the word, the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So, so far right then, you're thinking, okay, we got a, we got a saved fellow right here. All right? I like it. Verse 6. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Okay? Let's see. There was one more verse I was going to read. Where is it at? Okay, I don't know where it went. But again, notice the very phrase. The very first phrase I read in all of this was in verse 4. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a man that has tasted of, of the good word of God, a man that is a partaker of the Holy Ghost. Okay? He has tasted of the heavenly gift, is what the verse says. But when it starts this whole phrase, it says, for it is impossible for those. So it's impossible for those that have tasted and been a partaker of the Holy Ghost. It's impossible for those that if they fall away, to renew them again under repentance. Now, why is that so big? Because what people, this is the problem. There are people out there that don't believe in eternal security. But you know what they do believe? They believe you can lose your salvation, but they do also believe that you can get your salvation back. Well, the problem with that is, according to that verse, you can't. Well, what, and so what? So what? So what? Good Baptists will do is they'll say, "Well, those are people that are not really saved. They just kind of got a little taste. They just got a little taste of God, but they didn't really get God." Okay. Well, it says they were partakers of the Holy Ghost. And I'll say this, verse 6 says, if they shall fall away. You can't leave something that you weren't in. I cannot leave the, the place that I'm sitting unless I'm first sitting there. Okay, so what do you do with that? Well, this, you know what this is? This is a tribulational context. Again, we're doing the same thing we did in Matthew 24. Where, what book are we in? We're in the book of Hebrews. So who's the audience? It's Hebrews. Well, remember... In the church, there is no Jew or Greek, but in the tribulation, there most certainly is. Because in the tribulation, God is dealing with the Jew, and it's the time of Jacob's trouble. And again, what, ha what, what did Matthew 24 tell us? It said that they, must, that they that endured to the end shall be saved. So you know what Hebrews 6 is agreeing with in, in Matthew 24? It's saying, hey man, those that fall away, they're out. Well, I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my Christian life that I have displeased the Lord, that I have disobeyed God, that I have done the opposite of what he's told me to do. So the question is, did God pull back the very salvation 
in the very spirit of God that he gave me in the moment of my salvation? Well, of course not. So again, with Hebrews 6, if we're going to take that literally, then we have to place that in the right place, which is to the Jew in the tribulation, not to the church. So an example of that, a good crossroads, Kyle, if you want to grab 1 Timothy 4.1, I'm going to grab 2 Timothy 2. Um, so again, I want you to notice this phrase I said in verse 6. It's impossible for these people that fall away to renew themselves into repentance. Sad deal, right? Well, the problem is in the church age, the Bible actually says that there will be people that fall away. So Kyle's got that in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay. So some will, some will depart from the faith. Okay, so, you, so right now you're thinking, well, Dylan, I don't see the problem with Hebrews 6 and 1 Timothy 4. I just see it as those people were never really saved. Okay, well, again, uh, again, Hebrews 6 is a tribulational context, so I don't want you to get that mixed up with the church age doctrine. But I'm just trying to give you a parallel here. But according to 1 Timothy 4, that is church age doctrine. And by the way, it, it, uh, we keep saying church age doctrine. Doctrine to the church is found in Romans to Philemon. You filter the rest of the Bible. This is what we believe is dispensationalist. You filter the rest of the Bible through Romans, through Philemon. That's directly to the church. Okay? Anyway, so 2 Timothy 2 says this. So, so it, does the 1 Timothy 4.1 reference, people that are falling away in the church age, we're talking not Hebrews 6, tribulational, but in the church age, if they fall away, does that mean they were just never saved? Okay, well, I want you to, I want you to check this out here in 2 Timothy 2. We got two guys named uh, Hymenus and Philetus. So verse 15 is our famous verse. We keep quoting, study to show thyself approved. Verse, 15, verse 16 says, but, shame, but, I'm sorry, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius, uh, and well, I cannot say these names, and Philetus. Terrible names. Poor, poor guys. Verse 18. Okay, so he's saying that these two guys, their words eat as a canker. They are false teachers. So you're thinking, boy, look at these lost people trying to teach the Bible. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Well, notice what he says. Verse 18. Who concerning the truth have erred. Wow, they've left the truth. Saying that the resurrection is past already. Well, that sounds like some people group we've been talking about. And overthrow the faith of some. So these people have erred from the faith. Their word eats like a canker. It destroys people, and it's overthrowing their faith. Notice what verse 19 says. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The foundation of God, according to 1 Corinthians 3, is, is Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Here we go, Ephesians 1.13. See for reference, we've read that today. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know what God, what the Lord's saying there? He's saying though these two guys are, are their word eats like a canker. Those, though these two guys are false teaching and overthrowing the faith, he's saying, you know what, man, nevertheless, God still knows those that are his. The foundation of these guys, it, it, stands, it stands sure. They don't lose their salvation, though they are living wickedly and teaching wicked things that are contrary to God's word. So you know what you have there? 
you have a direct opposition to what Hebrews 6 says. Hebrews 6 says those that fall away, man, they can't be renewed into repentance. 2 Timothy 2 says that these guys that are that have fallen away, they have erred from the truth. Same thing. Man, the, the foundation of God is so sure in their life. And that, that should reassure us, right? So yeah, absolutely. Not, like, crap, I messed up today. Well, yes. Go back and get saved. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, because again, that's the problem with the people that don't believe in eternal security is they actually think that you can lose your salvation. So, But again, they're so worried about losing their salvation, but they believe they can get it back. Well, again... That's not scriptural. If okay, it, because at least what I'll give the the lack of eternal security guys a pass on is they're at least taking those other passages directly. They're taking them literally, but again, they just don't rightly divide them and realize that those are not to the church. Okay, but again, Hebrews six, according to that, if they're going to take that literally for them, well, then they can't get resaved. That's it, man. That's <laughs> all she wrote. So that's the that's the third thing. Number, so the dangers of wrongly dividing is you'll be pushed into an allegorical approach. But, but okay, maybe you surpass that and you say, nope, not me, Dylan. I'm going to still interpret this thing literally. Okay, well, then you're going to lose the, the sight. You're going to lose sight of the three people groups of Scripture, which is a dangerous thing. And you will not hold to eternal security because they disagree. Again, well, I just gave you two opposing Scriptures that if you think they're to the same people and you interpret both of them literally, they disagree. I don't know how to be any more clear than that, to be honest. But then that leads you to number four. And I think it's really the, the, uh, the, the, final, the final resting place of all these other three things and of all dangers of, of wrongly dividing. And that is that you'll be ashamed. And 2 Timothy 2.15, as we read earlier, says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So it's connected with rightly dividing the word of truth. So, again, what does all that mean? Well, I wrote I wrote this down. Because what we're essentially saying is that rightly dividing, and Kyle, if you want to grab 1 John 2, 28, we'll do a few more verses here. A little Bible study action real quick on this last point. 2.28. Yeah, but what, so what we're saying in all of this is that rightly dividing is connected with studying, but it really, it's how we get our doctrine. So again, many people today, they're not interested in doctrine. They want the, the, they're just not interested. They want other things. Okay. But the problem, the problem is they, they, they don't understand the importance of doctrine because, because this is the truth that wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. That's the biggest problem. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. Okay, so somebody could say, Dylan, I don't care about all that. I just want to go out and just serve the Lord. Okay. That, I, I appreciate the, you know, someone's heart like that. They just want, they're, they're so eager to serve God. They're, they're, they're zealous. But again, if they don't have their bearing straight on doctrine, they will be led astray. They will continue to be the child that is tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Because wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. And then this is the kicker. And wrong practice leads to shame. Because we said that studying is, has to be done rightly dividing. And that the person that does that, won't, that, that, that person, verse 15, shall not be ashamed. Well, what's the opposite of not being ashamed? It's shame. So wrong, wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. And wrong practice leads to shame but it specifically leads to shame 
at the judgment seat of Christ. What's the judgment seat of Christ? That's where every born-again believer goes after the rapture and has to give an account of their Christian life after getting saved. What kind of steward were they of the grace of God in their life after salvation in their life? So, if you were to study that whole thing out of of being ashamed and, and shame in our lives and how that brings us and connects us to uh, this whole thing of, of being ashamed at, or being full of shame at the judgment seat of Christ. Big Cal, read, uh, you've got First John 2. I quoted this a couple of days or a couple yeah. weeks ago. First John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Okay. So, I, I talked about that before. There's people that are going to be, they're going to love his appearing, and there's people that are going to be ashamed at his appearing. Okay. And again, it's funny that, Shame and lack of being ashamed and, and being full of shame is shown there at his appearing, but it draw it drives us back to this whole thing of studying and rightly dividing because, again, rightly dividing, right doctrine leads to right or wrong practice. Okay? But that, that also brings me to this thought here in Revelation 3.18. I just want to show you, uh, Kyle, if you want to grab Revelation 16.15, I'm going to grab Revelation 3.18. So how does wrongly dividing essentially lead to wrong practice which causes shame at the judgment seat okay well we find an example here in revelation 318 and what we believe is this is this is the church to the laodiceans and we believe that each of the seven churches in the first three chapters of revelation represent a time period of the church age so there's the church age is about 2,000 years i mean we're 2023 right now so just over that but, you know, pretty much around 2,000 years. And we believe that each, each church represents a time period. And we believe that the Laodicean time period represents the day and age which you and I live, which is the last time period before the rapture. But he says this. You have a very popular verse, which he talks about the lukewarmness of the church of Laodicea. Uh, he says that in verse 16. He says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. But then in verse 17, he says this. He tells us why he wants to spew spew them out of their mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable uh, and poor and blind and naked. Okay, now notice what he says in verse 18. And I want you to key in on that last word there, naked. We're going to come back to that. Verse 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white, uh, be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. Okay? And that the shame of thy nakedness. Now, notice the word shame there. That's the opposite of not being ashamed, according to 2 Timothy 2. I mean, it's simple English. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Okay? So what we have here, again, according to 2 Timothy 2.15, is someone that wrongly divides, they can, be, they can be ashamed. And according to Revelation 3, which actually talks about our time period that we, we live in, this shame is attached to nakedness. Which brings us to Revelation, uh, what did I say, 16.15? Yep, so hit, hit that one. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth, and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. 
So one thing you keep seeing uh, seeing pop up here, and, I don't, and uh, man, this could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But here's the whole deal. Let me just let me lay it out to you what I believe is clearly laid out in Scripture. Again, wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. And somebody that, again, we, we said that every believer will have to make an appearance at the judgment seat of Christ. And what happens? Well, the person that has not lived and not been a good steward of the Lord Jesus after their salvation, at the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be a good day for that person. They don't lose their salvation. They don't go to hell. They are saved. But we are we are going before Christ at the judgment seat to either receive reward or to receive loss. Okay, in other words, to say, man, my life was was pointless to the cause of Christ after my salvation. It's one of those two options, which is why some people will love his appearing and some people will be ashamed of his, as, as appearing. Okay, but in this whole thing, this is how it all connects. Again, wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. And somebody that has given their whole life to wrong practice and not walking the way the Lord wants them to walk because they've seen it in right doctrine, it leads to a shameful appearance at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, okay, Dylan, what does that have to do with nakedness and shame? Well, because this is how this whole thing works. How we live now affects how we do at the judgment seat. Well, how we do at the judgment seat affects our garments at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the way this time frame, this timeline works is that the rapture will take place. The people that are lost and, and everything will stay here on earth and th- that'll be the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation. But while the tribulation is going on down here on earth, w- the Christians will be up. Uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So even those that we know that are in Christ that have passed on, they will still have to be at this judgment seat of Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds. Okay? And we will have to stand before Jesus Christ while the tribulation is going on down on earth. We will be before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And he will judge our works after our salvation, whether they be good or bad, whether they were given for eternal purposes or for carnal and temporal purposes. And then how we do, whether we receive reward or don't receive reward, has direct impact on the garments or the lack of garments that we have at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will then have direct impact on how much we'll be able to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his kingdom in the millennium. Now, what's the big deal with the garments? Well, I don't know what all to think about that whole nakedness thing. I don't know how to define everything for you and what and what all that will look like. I don't think anything will be inappropriate. I think we'll all be sinless at that point. But I know this. Everybody will know how we invested our lives based on our garments at that marriage supper of the Lamb. And then again, that will have bearing. All how we did at the judgment seat of Christ based on how we lived our lives here. That has bearing on how we rule and reign with Jesus Christ in the millennium. Now, you may sit there and say, well, Dylan, I'm just happy to be saved. Because that's what a lot of people say back, back to me, believe it or not. Or they say that kind of stuff. Well, Dylan, I'm just happy to make heaven. Okay. You may say that now, but you will not think that way when you are in Christ's kingdom. You will have wished that you invested your life in the right practice. Because that is when we are able to give Christ the glory that is due his name is at the millennium. And man, that's what it's all about. 
That is, that is the way that we give him more glory that is due his name is by ruling and reigning with him. And again, we don't have time. If that confuses you, we don't have time to get into all of that. Maybe this will lead us into an end time study. I don't know. Me and Kyle re- both recently went through this stuff with our, our the churches that we attend. And uh, we love the study of end times. And we may dive into that. We're not sure yet. Um, but again, how does that all play back in? Well, it all goes back to rightly dividing the word of truth. Studying the word of truth. Because again, wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice, which leads to shame at the judgment seat of Christ. So, I hope that was clear. I hope everything we said made sense. If you have any questions, holler at us on the email. Yeah. Yep. It'll be, uh, the email will be tagged on the bottom of the the podcast thing whenever we post it. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, we're, we're going through this dispensational stuff, but just showing that systematic approach to scripture, but, but it, it's literally a serious thing, right? Like Dylan mm-hmm. was just saying, it, the Bible tells us to study, it tells us to rightly divide, but I mean, it's serious. It comes down to being, not being ashamed or, or, or being ashamed, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like he said, maybe that leads us in to talking about the judgment seat and, end times and stuff like that but thanks for listening uh if you missed the the one before this one i would go check that one out because that was the first one we did on the dispensation but uh thanks for listening we'll catch you on the next one